Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths for securing the way that leads to life. God is slow to anger, but God is jealous. He says, listen, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be a good cheer, I have overcome the world. But you've got to draw from his strength. You've got to pray. You've got to study the word. You've got to put it in your heart that you don't sin against God. The whole concept of scripture and principle is trust in God. Obey him. Walk in him. You will have light to walk rather than stumbling over darkness. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Old Testament book of Nahum begins with a portrayal of the patience, power, holiness, and justice of the living God. He is slow to anger, but God settles His accounts in full, as the Assyrians of the city of Nineveh would experience, having reverted back to their violent, sinful ways, following Jonah's call for repentance. Pastor Xavier illustrates in a message titled, The Destruction of Nineveh, the simple truth that if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. Yet if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap everlasting life. Let's listen. Nahum chapter 1. Nahum is the next minor prophet after Micah, which we have just finished. The revelation of God must come from Himself. No man can reveal anything about God. He is transcendent. He's beyond our finding out. All we can do is speculate. But when we go to the Word of God and God has revealed something about Himself, we can count on it as truth. He is the revealing God. He is not hidden somewhere, but He has revealed Himself throughout history. He's revealed Himself through the Scriptures. And the very first thing He says here to Nahum is that He is a jealous God. It isn't the first time we find it throughout Scripture as Moses told the children of Israel as he brought him out of Egypt and he came into the land and as he was giving the second reiteration of the law in Deuteronomy 4.24, he says, The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Jealousy, when it comes to human nature, for the most part, it's sinful. It's self-centered. But when the scriptures declare that God is jealous, his jealousy is centered on absolute devotion to him because he knows he's the only and the best thing for us. And because he's jealous... We need to remember that here he says that the Lord avenges and is furious and he will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. You see, when the prophet here says that he takes vengeance or he avenges, we have to remember that God's vengeance is holy and vengeance belongs to him. The scriptures are clear that in Deuteronomy 32, 35 and Paul quoted in Romans 12, 19. Vengeance belongs to me. The vengeance that he's taking on is actually here that which is due him because of what has been done against him. But see, what has been done against him is totally wrong because he's totally good. When something is done against me, usually I want to take revenge. Revenge means I get back. We say revenge is sweet. But you know what? That sweetness wears out because the minute I'm satisfied then I want to do something else because I can never get enough. That's why the law, man is so depraved. That's why the law said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Not many people quote that. They say, see, the law says eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. I have a right. You knock out my tooth, I'll knock out yours. But it was a limitation on man's evil heart. God knew that if you knock one of my teeth out, I'm going to want to knock all of yours out. And so God says if they knock one, you're limited to one. It's a limitation on man's sinfulness. 
God avenges. Man tries to take revenge. There's a big difference. But notice also that he says that God is slow to anger and great in power in verse 3. He is patient regarding sinners. That's what he's saying. He's slow to anger. We saw that in the book of Jonah. Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's very slow to anger regarding the sinner. Look at all that he puts up. You don't have to look to anybody's life. Look to your own life. But don't take the patience of God as being indifferent to sin. God does not settle all of his accounts in one day. But one day he will settle all of his accounts. Every one of them. Why is God saying all this? Because he's going to wipe out Nineveh. He says, I'm jealous for you. You've left me. You've betrayed me. I'm slow to anger. Great in power. Power to destroy and power to kick back. Nothing gets away from me. In other words, no wicked person will get away with sin. No person who turns his back on God will sneak into heaven. Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 3 and 5, that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And if we turn our back on that goodness, then all we do is we store up wrath against the day of judgment like a dam stores up water. And that means there's a lot of power. There's a lot of stuff we're storing up. And the gates will be open on judgment day. You will not escape it. But yet God does not sit all content up there. For what does he say in Ezekiel 18.32? He says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that he might turn and live. Notice he is a stronghold or a refuge to those who believe in him in the day of trouble. And there are many days of trouble. I wish I could tell you this morning that if you came to Christ, all your problems would be solved. But the truth of the matter is you're probably in for a bigger hassle of your life than ever before. The great advantage is that you're no longer are under God's wrath. And God cleanses you from your sin. And now you will have light to walk in rather than stumbling over darkness. But you will be an enemy. You will be a pilgrim. You will be a fish out of water. You will be one going contrary to the current of the world if you make a stand for Christ. And yet he says, he will be a stronghold for you in the day of trouble, which means you will have trouble. Did not Jesus say, let not your heart be troubled? You believe in God, believe also in me? They were trouble. He says, listen, in the world you're going to have tribulations, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. But you've got to draw from his strength. You've got to pray. You've got to study the word. You've got to put it in your heart that you don't sin against God. You've got to fight the good fight. You've got to put on the armor. You've got to say no to sin. And you've got to say yes to God. He won't do that for you or myself. I'm responsible to do that. And yet when I step out, he's there to meet me. Like the guy that was over the cliff and he was hiking and he was there for hours and he was slipping and he had this little branch and, you know, he's just yelling out and, Thought he was going to just, that's it, I'm going to perish. And all of a sudden, you know, he yelled out, help, help. And he heard a voice say, let go. Let go, I'll catch you. And he thought he was hearing things. He said, help, and he heard it again. Let go, I'll catch you. And then he yells, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> so often we look at the situation, we say, no way, no way. God says, let go. And we yell out, is there anybody else up there? I don't want to do that. Now we get little catchy little phrases, let go and let God and this and that. And, and some people say, hang on and hang tight. And so who do we believe? The whole concept of scripture and principle is trust in God. Obey Him. 
Walk in Him. I tell you, He will be a strong tower to you, to me. Would you stay out of that tower? You're vulnerable. You're nothing but flesh. No man can stand. And therefore, the contrast in verse 8, but with an overflowing flood, He will make an utter end of this, its place, and darkness will pursue His enemies. He is a destroyer to His enemies. A refuge to those who trust in Him, but a destroyer to those who turn their back on Him. Overflowing flood, nothing can survive. And so God's revelation of Himself, so important. Why does He bring this up first? Because God's going to destroy. So that when you see the destruction, you don't say, well, God ain't fair. No, God is good. And God is slow to anger. But God is jealous. And once He has given lie, one who has given knowledge, once He has given privilege, woe to the person who despises who turns his back upon that light and that privilege. To those that much is given, much is required. Jesus said, Woe to you, Kareis and Bethsaida, for if the works had been done in you that were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. They had a greater light. They had the Messiah present before them. Sodom and Gomorrah only had a couple of angels and carnal lot. Now look with me. Nahum reveals next God's condemnation of Nineveh. Verse 1, God condemns her. And he condemns her sin against light, as we have mentioned. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Alkashite. The word burden means oracle. It's a technical term for, that's associated with judgment. You see, remember, we've gone through the book of Jonah. In 765 B.C., Jonah had preached. Jonah didn't want to preach. Jonah wanted to see the Ninevites destroyed. He hated them. He took off to Tarshish. God got him there by the whale or the sea monster, whatever you want to call it. God saved, in chapter 3, all of Nineveh. They all repented. And Jonah went out and pouted. He couldn't believe it. And see, here the burden against Nineveh is because they had the light of God. They had experienced, they had tasted, they had now turned their back upon God. Now it is about 710 B.C. And God has looked down upon Nineveh and says, it's not good. And yet God did not delight. But Nineveh came to a line that once she crossed it, there was no turning back. Now prior to this, in 765, we saw that Nineveh did repent. What's the difference? Only God knows that line. I don't know. Where are you in your life if you don't know Christ? Where are you in your life if you've come to Christ and you walked away from Him? Are you close to that line? I don't know. I don't think you know either. But there is a line out there. Once you cross it, God in all His love can do nothing but bring judgment towards your life. It's very clear through Scripture. Now, if you're worried, that's a good sign. That means you haven't crossed it. But if you can hear the Word of God and not worry and mock and just go on and, and live in your sin and still come to church and think nothing of it, then I think you've crossed it. At least a good sign of it. Nothing would avert it. But it took time. God was gracious. But now He was... Going to bring judgment. Verse 11. God condemned her arrogant heart. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. The word wicked counselor means a counselor of Belial. It's believed that this is the reference to Rabshakeh, who was sent by Sennacherib in 2 Kings uh, 18, 
9-22, where he came to the men on the wall at Jerusalem uh, as Sennacherib invaded Judah. And he says, hey, listen, you guys don't trust in the Lord. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. You know, Hezekiah's pulled down all the high places. And see, Israel had been so polluted with idolatry that all the heathens of the land had identified the worship of Jehovah with the idolatry going on. And when Hezekiah came to the throne and he took down all the high places, then they said, oh, Hezekiah has tore down the altars of Jehovah. And so Rabshakeh comes and says, hey, listen, don't trust in Hezekiah. Don't let him deceive you. Look, he's torn down all your altars and for your God. And they said, listen, talk to us in other tongues so that the men on the wall don't get scared. He said, listen, hasn't Sennacherib sent me to speak to the men on the wall? Then there was a letter that came to Hezekiah, man, it was... He was all torn up. He tore his clothes. He went in before the Lord. He talked to Isaiah. He spread it before the Lord. And Isaiah the prophet said, Listen, don't worry about anything. God will defend the city. Not one arrow will be shot. He sent out one little angel and 185,000 Assyrians were dead that night. The arrogance of Assyria. And they had tasted light. They had received the word. But they had gone back. In verses 9 through 10, God condemns her to be utterly destroyed. What do you conspire against the Lord? In other words, you, nothing can stop it. He will make another end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. In other words, I'll only have to visit you one time, and it's all over with for you. One time, and I'm going to destroy you completely. He likens them like uh, tangled thorns ready for the fire, like drunken men who are drunkard in verse 10. Stubble, fully dried, which will ignite. It's interesting, the destruction of Nineveh came not only by fire, but through a flood. As you know, Nineveh had the city proper and the four suburbs around it. It was on the Tigris River, and there was also the river called Kosar. And from Kosar, there was a lot of, a lot of gates and, and, and uh, water canals that came through for the moats around the walls. And then it was flood season, and, and what happened is the Tigris River overflowed, and it washed away a section of the wall, and it allowed the enemy to come in. But it's interesting that they were all drunk when it took place also. You remember another time when that happened, when Belshazzar took out the instruments of God and had a big drunken feast, and he saw a finger on the wall saying, Meaning, me, tackle you, Farson, you've been found lightweight. <laughs> you've been waiting, you've been found wanting, and your day's up. And that night he was killed. You see, God is in control of the nations, and if He's in control of the nations, how much is He in control of your life? Whether you know it or not, He's in control. He will have the last word. You can be doing your own thing, you can be making your own decisions, but the bottom line is, where will you come up at the end? That's the bottom line. Even if you can have everything in this life, and all the pleasure, and all the money, and all the security, you have to die. And death will seal your eternity, either with God or apart from God. There's no purgatory, there's no limbo, there's no hotbox, there's nothing. You're eternally lost or eternally with God. One of the two. Don't believe your professors at school and the messages you hear around our society. When Alexander the Great came through in 331 B.C., he didn't even know that there was a city or a civilization there. That's how utterly God had destroyed. As you know, we saw the book of, of Jonah. Uh, many people thought that Jonah was a myth because there was no real evidence. For a long, long time. How specific here, he's going to wipe it out, I'm only going to hit it one time, and you're going to be done. All over. Later on in chapter 2, he gives the real details of the drunken, of the battle, and everything else. You read it. It's amazing. As you take accounts of history of the, of the uh, different chronicles that were uh, found from other civilizations, we have records. And yet this is told specifically before it happened, years before it happened. 
and so the condemnation of Nineveh. But the result of God's judgment in the revealing of his own character was to bring great consolation to Judah. And you find that in verses 12 through 15. God's consolation to Judah. Notice first in verses 12 and 13 that God would relieve Assyria's oppression from Israel. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in the manner they will be cut down. When he passes through, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. In spite of their apparent security and numbers, God will destroy them. And God says, I have used them to chasten you, but now I'm going to punish them. Do you remember another minor prophet that had a problem with that too? Habakkuk. He couldn't believe how God could use the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to punish Israel. But didn't God call Cyrus, the non-believer, to take over Babylon? You see, Hezekiah had rebelled against Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, when he removed those high places, and he no longer paid tribute. And four years after that, the king of Assyria came down, and he took Samaria, as Amos and Hosea had prophesied. And then in the 14th year of, of uh, Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib came down, as we've implied it, he sent Rabshakeh to threaten them at the wall to send the letters. And yet now God said through Isaiah, listen, I am going to wipe them out and you're going to have some relief. This was to be great consolation to Israel, to Judah specifically. You see, the name Nahum means comfort. Consolation. You say, well, how can this message be comfort and consolation? To God's people. This is the message Jonah wanted to hear. It's a great consolation when you see God's righteous judgment come to pass. You say, oh, how morbid. Hey, read the book of Revelation. When God wipes out the non-believer, the people in heaven are saying, right on, Lord, they deserve it. Because God never makes a mistake. They've turned their back upon God. You see, they had reproached and blasphemed the living God, 2 Kings 9, 19, 3-7 says. Not the people, but the God behind the nation. And so God wiped them out. Notice also that God would annihilate Assyria completely in verse 14. Not only would He destroy it, but annihilate it. The Lord has given a command concerning you, your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods I will cut off the carved images, the molten images, I will dig your grave, for you are vile detestable, despicable. He's going to dig a grave, bury her, no one will find her. Interesting, Alexander had no evidence that there was a civilization there. Do you know that the city of Nineveh has been thought to be a myth for almost 2,000 years until 1842 when Layard and Boda discovered it, the ruins? Once again, God gets an archaeologist, throws them out there, and proves all these intellectual dodo heads wrong. <laughs> By the way, have you ever heard of an Assyrian? Any of them migrating to the United States today? You're bumping them in Assyria and you can throw your Bible away. Or a Hittite. God means what He says, people. But see, the security that we have around us is so false and so insecure that we get deceived by it and we think, well, I'm okay. I'm cool. Now you're cool, all right? If God is speaking to you and you fit here, pay heed. Pay heed. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. 
Finally, in verse 15, God would cause Judah to be comforted at the news when it actually happened. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace, O Judah. Keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. As we said, the name Nahum means comfort or consolation. When Judah was to hear of the destruction in 612 B.C., they were to receive great comfort. 150 years after Jonah's preaching, Nineveh was buried and gone. And here the scripture is quoted in Isaiah 52, 7. Paul quoted in Romans 10, 15 about how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. In the context, he's speaking about the news of the destruction of Nineveh. Great comfort to Israel, to Judah. Why? Because no longer would they be oppressed by Assyria. They would be gone. But around the corner is Babylon. And Babylon would take Judah captive for 70 years. You see, if one enemy doesn't overcome you, another one will. The only safety place is the stronghold of God. In Jesus Christ. Just when you think you got over on something else, something else will hold you. Just when you think it's all over with, it begins all over again. Just when God's got you through this trial, here comes another one. You get the message, you have to stay in the stronghold. You have to abide in Christ. It would be a glad tithing to them, ending their oppression. But not only that, at the end of chapter 3, verse 19, it would be a comfort to all who suffered at her hand. Your iniquity has no healing your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? All would rejoice. We've all experienced someone who is really wicked or evil and some, uh, they get removed or something happens and everybody who's been affected by them, they kind of say, yeah, that's good. This is what he's saying. Now God desires to remove all the evil from our life and to bring judgment upon everything that's in our life so that we can clap and say, man, I'm free. But see, there's where your choice comes in if you don't know Jesus Christ. And maybe you're, you're a teen and maybe you're coming to church and you've got your parents all snowed out, you know, and you're cool and everything's going on, but you're out there, you're messing around. Maybe you're doing drugs, maybe you're into sex. You're living a double life, duplicity. Maybe you even serve in church. Maybe you've got your act together. You're a real asset to society. But deep down in your heart, you know, you've got a split heart, a divided heart. And you receive light. And every time you come, you receive more light. And greater is the judgment, the scriptures tell us. And we need to pay heed to that. There are three important things that I want to leave you here out of chapter 1. From the doom proclaimed to Nineveh. First, God doesn't change but is ever fixed regarding sin. He is a jealous God. The same God that spared Nineveh 150 years earlier destroyed it. Why? Because they did change. They changed back to their ways. Two, God will not acquit the wicked who turns his back against the light received. Don't think you will escape if you turn your back on the light that you have received. You will not escape. Three, God warns every nation of the destruction that sin brings to any people. Look at our nation today. We're destroying it from within because we have turned our back upon the biblical principles and a belief in God. 
I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you're not in the stronghold, you're open to destruction. And if you don't fall upon the rock, the rock will fall upon you and you'll be ground to powder, it says. There's no other choice. Nothing else can happen unless you flee to the rock. Pastor Xavier Reese with three important simple truths to take heed of when choosing the path to destruction over the way of everlasting life. And you may also be interested to know this message titled The Destruction of Nineveh is available on CD upon request for just $4. Having your own copy allows you to review the study all over again and at your own pace or perhaps pass on to someone else you know. So once again, the title to ask for is The Destruction of Nineveh. Or you may simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com